Good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's segment. Unfortunately, today I will be recording by myself, but I hope and I pray that you would understand everything that I'm going to talk about. Okay, so we are basically focusing on Hitler's consolidation of power. We are still trying to understand how Hitler became a complete dictator and what steps were taken towards that goal. Remember what we have been talking about all along. Hitler is not some kind of a wizard or a demigod to say whenever he said something, people fell down to worship him. No, that is not the correct evaluation. But the topic that we are studying proves to us that through various calculated moves, he was able to immobilize the Reichstag and make himself the leader of of Germany. Right, and he also disabled any forms of opposition towards him within the Reichstag, amongst the worker unions, and also within the German civil service. All people who were not loyal were flushed out through a system of anti-Semitism. And these are things that we discussed in our last lesson, you remember. So this is just a quick recap. Right, but I wanted us to focus a lot today on the concept of the SA and the SS. The SA and the SS. I think you have to understand the difference between these two very important vehicles of power for Hitler. He depended so much on the SS and the SA. Both of them helped him rise up to become a dictator. Right, so we need to understand what really was the difference between these two um, vehicles of power. Well, for a starter, both the SS and the SA belonged to the Nazi party. Okay, they were all Nazis, right, but they served different purposes okay they served different purposes right i'm going to just try and open my page just now right the sa were also known as the stormtroopers or the brown shirts right and this army was formed in 1921 okay they were a nazi army okay they served the purpose of uh, enforcing the military will of of the Nazis. So let's say there were elections and they needed to beat up people or to force people to vote for the Nazis. Then the stormtroopers or the brown shirts would be the perfect people to do this. And this Nazi army had grown its numbers. By 1934, there were about 2 million members of of the stormtroopers or the SA. Right, the gentleman that we spoke about in the last lesson, his name was Ernest Rohm. Right, and and you remember how we mentioned that uh, Ernest was a threat to Hitler because so many people were loyal to him. Uh, He was actually the leader of the SA, the leader of the stormtroopers. But within the German army, many people still respected him and saluted him right they were willing to come under his leadership 
because he had a moderate policy of saying uh, the SA and the uh, general army should be combined. Right, so there were many people within the national army who supported him as well as the fact that he was the leader of the Nazi private army. Right, so now let's talk about the SS. Right, the SS was Hitler's personal bodyguard. Uh, you know, as, as the years were going by, he really became very obsessed about his own personal security, no doubt, because many people uh, would have wanted him dead. Right, so he started multiplying the number of his personal bodyguards, and these were not just ordinary soldiers. These were highly trained and highly disciplined people. They were educated soldiers who were committed to keeping Hitler safe and alive. Right, he had over 50,000 bodyguards by 1933. And unlike the brown shirts, unlike the stormtroopers, the SS wore a black uniform, okay, um, with a picture of a skull on their, on their caps. Right, uh, before I came to girls' college, I used to teach in a mixed school, and uh, some boys were drawing um, some skeleton tattoos all over their hands, and it was becoming a trend, right? It was becoming a trend. So the school head was very, very concerned about what the meaning of these skulls was. Sometimes you go into the toilets, into the bathrooms, and you find someone has put graffiti of a skull on the walls and this was very very concerning and I remember that um, the history department had to be charged to say could you please tell the whole school uh, what that skull actually means what they are paying homage to what they are praising what they are idolizing and when people came to know that the skull was being associated with Nazi violence, a long history of um, abuse and murder and killings. That is when the boys then stopped using that skull as a symbol for their little boy gangs. Right, so the SS wore black uniforms and they had this skeleton engraving on their caps. Right, the interesting thing about both the SA, the Nazi army, and the SS, the uh, private bodyguard of Hitler, is that they both performed military duties, okay? They both performed military duties. Right, so after, after Hitler had been making conscious steps towards accumulating all the power to himself, he realized that the SA was very, very powerful that some kind of absolutist control was required to bring the leaders of the SA into check. You see, these guys are the people who would go out there and commit the violence, and they started to feel like they were in control of their own destinies, as if they could make decisions on their own. So Hitler was very concerned that the leaders of the SA were accumulating too much power and that they were influencing the national army and that if at any point they were no longer happy with him, then they could easily overthrow him. 
this this was the burden, the plight of Ernest Roem as a leader of the SA. The fact that he was commanding too much power and the fact that he was talking about these deals uh, with the army without the approval of, of Hitler. Okay, Hitler wanted to keep the, the army and the SA somewhat separate uh, so that he could use the SA, no doubt, to remain in office or to do his bidding. Right, not that he didn't want to use the army. The army was also very valuable to him, but he was trying to assert his position to ensure that he was surrounded by loyal people only. So the army was demonstrating that it was loyal to Ernest Roem and not to him. Right, so this is why the Night of the Long Knives actually took place, okay? Uh, hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of people died during the Night of the Long Knives. Many people were persecuted, but essentially the Night of the Long Knives was Hitler weeding out all threats within his own system, okay? Right, so you'll find that... Um, the bodyguard, right? The bodyguards, the black shirts, the SS was actually sent out to hunt down SA members or stormtrooper members who were not loyal, okay? Who were not compliant, right? So the personal bodyguards went after Nazi army officials and started killing them and executing them. Right, and, and so many other people were executed, people within the civil service, people within uh, the government systems and, and structures who were opposed to Nazism, people who had been told that uh, opposition parties have been banned and, and, and people who didn't listen. All these people were rounded up and they were shot, including von Slecher. Okay, Von Slecher was a former chancellor, but he still commanded a lot of respect within the Reichstag, okay? And he wanted to do things right and obviously didn't approve of the one-party state. So hundreds of thousands of people were slaughtered during the Night of the Long Knives. Right, now unfortunately, uh, President Hindenburg died on the 2nd of August, 1934, and this left a very huge power vacuum. Now that the Reichstag had been dissolved and all government structures have been put under Nazi control and the army has been forced into submission through the Night of the Long Knives, all the leaders who had potential to challenge Hitler have been removed. It means that there was no one to propose an election after the death of, of Hindenburg. And even if anyone was brave to propose that election, there were no more opposition parties to actually, you know, contest in those elections. So there was a very big power vacuum and you just won't believe what Hitler did. He stepped into the shoes of, of the president. Right. Remember uh, when we were talking about the government structure of um, the Weimar Republic, the constitution that was created, it was such that there was a president and below the president there was a chancellor. The president had been the remaining, the sole remaining authority who could challenge the chancellor. 
because remember the chancellor was appointed by the president now in the absence of a president it means the chancellor then becomes the all-powerful supreme authority in the state and this is the unfortunate situation of germany so hitler did not surrender being the chancellor no he was way too greedy for that he stepped into the shoes of the president whilst remaining as chancellor he had a dual position dual power and as president obviously there are powers which came with being the president of the country like the fact that he now was the commander in chief of of the army they now were forced to completely submit to him and follow his orders because he was now the president whilst remaining as the chancellor right so he called himself the reich fuhrer okay the reich fuhrer right a title that he coined for himself which showed that he was like the supreme authority of of germany that he couldn't be challenged he was more than a president and more than a chancellor but he was the supreme uh, ruler of of germany and that is how hitler became a complete dictator right so for today's lesson i think that is okay i've attached some notes for you uh, to write or to print it is up to you use your discretion i also would like you to uh, finish your assignment and submit it so that i could mark it then i've just attached a short video it's, it's less than four minutes for you to you know understand what to place during the night of the long knives so i hope this has been clear and i hope you understood everything and it's bye-bye from me